Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, what's up? Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roll Pod, an Alabama sports podcast from Bama 247. I am staff writer Cody Goodwin, and I am glad you guys are here. It has been exactly one week since Nick Saban announced his retirement after 17 seasons as Alabama's head football coach. It's been a whirlwind week since then. 49 hours after Saban retired, Kalen DeBoer was introduced or announced as the Crimson Tide's new head coach. Within days after that, DeBoer assembled his offense and staff and some key members of his defensive staff. And uh, while they've convinced some Alabama players to stick around in Tuscaloosa uh, for the Kalen DeBoer era, a handful more have entered the portal, more than a handful, um, and many of them have already found new schools. We're going to hit on all of that on today's show. I've got both Mike Rodak and John Talty with me here to discuss all the comings and goings and happenings with Alabama football over this past week. Um, Guys, I figured we could take a page out of Nick Saban's book for this show. We've got three topics to discuss today, good, bad, and ugly, but I think it makes a lot of sense to start today's show with the bad and the ugly. Alabama's roster is getting thinner and thinner. There have been 25 scholarship players, I think 30 if you count walk-ons, that have entered the transfer portal since it's initially opened in December. There have been eight defections since Nick Saban retired on January 10th, literally one week ago today. There have been some pretty big names that have hit the portal as well. Today alone, on Wednesday, Caleb Downs and Caden Proctor, uh, two former five-star prospects, have entered the portal. All indications suggest that Downs is headed to Georgia and Proctor is headed to Iowa, but there's even more than that. Uh, Some other big names include Trey Amos, who is poised to be cornerback one this upcoming season, Isaiah Bond, Alabama's most targeted receiver and the hero on the receiving end of 4th and 31 against Auburn, Amari Nyblack, top receiving tight end for Alabama, Des Ricks, another former five-star, Sean Murphy, a guy who we all felt was poised to play a lot more this upcoming season. Um, By my count, seven total defensive backs have hit the portal, including four since Saban retired. That's Downs, Trey Amos, Antonio Kite, Des Ricks, plus... Jake Pope, Earl Little Jr., and Christian Story. Other key guys like running back Roydell Williams, offensive lineman Terrence Ferguson have hit the portal and found new homes. Um, When we're talking just transfer portal and guys who have left Alabama or are planning on leaving or planning on entering the portal, um, what are our initial thoughts on just everything that's been happening over the last week? I'll throw it out to you guys. Yeah, I guess I'll start. I mean, it's all right. Trying to text to get some info, but you got you go ahead. I'll see. What just the regular Adam Schefter over there, <laughs> doing live TV on your phone. That's all right. Um, Stop in a little bit. This will be weird when people listen after the fact. Great, great podcasting right here, guys. It's all right. No, I was gonna say it's 
and I wrote about this today. I mean, there was already 17 players in the portal and there was already, you look the past two years, I think 36, 37 guys who went in um, combined. So it's not like having eight guys leave after Nick Saban is a huge number, but this is a much different um, quality of player, quite frankly, than what has left Alabama before this. I mean, it's typically the guys that second level weren't playing, um, wanted to get a starting job somewhere else. So you could pretty much fit a formula for a while. And it's, it's all changed um, really in the past week. The guys that have left post Saban are, for the most part, starters. I mean, Sean Murphy, Antonio Kite, Des Ricks are probably the exceptions, but Isaiah Bond, Caden Proctor, both big time starters. Obviously, Caleb Downs, big time starter. Amari Nyblack played a ton of snaps. Um, so, and Trey Amos would have been a starter this year, sort of was a starter last year, too. So, these are much bigger time players. These are much bigger losses. These are guys that would have fit sort of the core of the team next year, um, which is a lot different than losing, you know, Tyler Buckner or Shaz Preston or Ian Jackson or one of those guys. Like this is a much different story. And I, I don't think you can quite easily brush it off as like, just let the guys leave and we'll find somebody else to replace them. It becomes much harder to replace a guy like Caleb Downs uh, than it does, you know, again, a Shaz Preston or somebody like that. Yeah, I would argue that I'm not sure that you can ricochet shots in here. I know he's taking some strays. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I think to your point, Mike, like I'm not sure that there's a way you can replace a Caleb Downs, right? Like he was, I mean, he was freshman All-American this past season um, and was poised to be, I think there was a pretty strong case to make that he would have been the best player in college football over the next couple of years. Now it's, I, again, all indications suggest that he's headed to Georgia, one of Alabama's chief rivals the last few years. I would argue that Georgia's probably going to be the heavy, heavy favorite to both land his services and perhaps be the the odds-on favorite to win the whole thing next year. Um, John, do you got any initial thoughts on just all of the transfer portal defections? I think Mike makes a good point that a lot of this was maybe expected, but I think just the sheer number and the sheer talent of the guys that's leaving um, – Puts Alabama in a pretty rough spot. Yeah, I mean, I think the talent level is just the, the point that can't be, you know, made enough that, you know, uh, we knew that Alabama was going to have to lose guys. But if you if you put together a list, and I think you did, but if I'll say my own Talty list here. If I put down a list of 10 guys that I felt like you really had to keep no matter what, I would say Caleb Downs and Kaden Proctor would have both been in that top 10. So for both of those guys to – uh, start the process. They're not officially in the portal as of, uh, what is it, Wednesday afternoon, whatever time we're recording right now. Uh, I think that that's going to happen over time, but they're both taking the steps and intend to be in the portal. Um, those are two guys that there is no replacement for them out there. Uh, certainly not right, right now. I don't know there's ever going to be a replacement. I think Caleb Downs is one of one. And so that's that's a real blow for you as your Alabama because um, there's just not a natural, natural replacement. Um, so, it, you know, that's tough. I mean, I think I said this on our, our board on Bama 24-7 earlier today that, like, you know, in the past, if this happened five years ago, you focus on building your staff and you're not worried about players bouncing out everywhere. You know, you could have retained the vast majority of them. And Caleb DeBoer was hand, handed a roster that was extremely talented and could have really built off of that next year. But the way the rules are now, th there's no guarantee of that. And so the roster that Caleb DeBoer thought he was taking on Friday – is very different on Wednesday. And there is fear that more talented guys are going to enter the portal. And so it's a real important moment for Kalen DeBoer here. I think he's already suffered some losses. Uh, we'll see what he can do in terms of adding guys from the portal. But 
right now, I think more than anything, it's, you know, from a boxing term, like stop the bleeding. I think you got to just try to do everything you can to keep as many of those guys in the building as possible. Um, and it's a challenge. And he knew it. You know, we go back to Saturday. I asked him about it and he said it was a real strong threat of guys trying to vulture their players. And here we are a few days later and uh, that is coming to fruition. Yeah, and I think that kind of gets to the the ugly part of this good, bad, and ugly conversation. Um, you know, a lot of these guys are leaving. It does. It seems like there are plenty more that are going to join the guys that have already left. And not only that, but a lot of these guys are headed to programs that Alabama is going to have to, you know, either play or compete against for you know SEC titles and playoff spots next year, right? Like five of Alabama's twenty five scholarship transfers are headed to Florida State, for example, right? And so I know that there's a lot of angst between those two fan bases after the whole playoff decision earlier this year, but like Malik Benson, Terrence Ferguson, Earl Little, Roydell Williams, Sean Murphy, they're all going to the, you know, to the Seminole program could potentially be more that joins them as well. Isaiah Bond, Kendrick Blackshire, talented linebacker, right? We all know how good Isaiah Bond was, especially down the stretch this past season. They're both headed to Texas. Uh, mentioned that Downs likely headed to Georgia. Jake Pope, another defensive back who was poised for, I think, more playing time or at least an expanded role this next season. He's already committed to transfer to Georgia. Uh, mentioned Proctor, likely headed to Iowa. I know they play in the Big Ten, but the defense is good enough to keep the Hawkeyes in the playoff conversation most years. Um, and again, I think the worst part of all this is that it's not quite done yet. The transfer portal remains open for Alabama for another 23 days. Like, that's going to be a long three weeks if this past week is any indication, right? Um, and this kind of leads into what you wrote about today, Mike. Um, Kalen DeBoer is facing what appears more of a rebuild than maybe inheriting, you know, a star-studded roster that, you know, Nick Saban had. And, you know, all that talent that Saban stockpiled over the last few years, um, that's not going to be there for Kalen DeBoer in 2024. They did convince some key guys to stay. I know Jalen Milrose in the mix. Uh, Tyler Booker has been um, open about the fact that he's staying. Um, some key recruits, Caleb Odom, Jalen Mbakwe. You also got Malachi Moore. He'll be in his fifth season. Jihad Campbell and Deontay Lawson are both expected to stay around. Um, but it's he's going to be closer to the ground than he is to the top when it comes to his first Alabama team. Right. And I think to some extent, that's probably always going to be the way it was. Um, I mean, this is not 2017. Like Kirby Smart was not going to be your next coach. The portal's open wide open for players as NIL, like <clears throat> maybe you could have accomplished that six, seven years ago and had Saban transition to somebody on his own staff and have everything stay in place and everybody would have been the same. That wasn't going to happen here. Like I, unless you've somehow maybe convinced Sark to come and, you know, yeah, you're, you're able, able to keep, keep some players to, to come with them. Like, I, I think it would have been hard to keep it all together. Um, so I think this is kind of what was going to happen regardless. I think it's probably a little bit worse. Um, but there was always going to be a staff that looked a lot different. There was, they're always going to bring in their own players. Um, and I think that's the biggest question that still is out there is which of these Washington players do they bring in? Uh, because that's going to dictate how good they are this year. And then which recruits can they, and I, I want to be as focused about bringing guys back that have decommitted. I mean, there's still a lot of players out there for 2025, 2026, but how are they going to build that class from where it is right now? I think it's 27th after the five decommits they've had and turn it back into something that can help this team win going forward. How are they going to use the portal next year? So um, those are all the big questions. But I, again, I don't know if those were different um, than what you know we expected. You know, this was always going to look different. I think people kind of like the familiarity, familiarity aspect of it. But I'm even reading right now, John, that you and Matt Zenitz are putting out this story about you know some of the staffers that are leaving. 
in terms of you know guys like John McNulty, Zach Mettenberger, Charlie Strong, Ken Wisenhunt, who are all on Saban's staff as um, you know pretty experienced coaches, or Mettenberger's case, an experienced player. A new guy is always going to bring in his own guys, and I think in the the first hours and days of a new hire, people are always looking to see who are we going to get back. But there's always new people who come in. And I think that's just something we have to watch play out over time. Yeah, it's going to be uh, really interesting to see what the next few weeks are going to look like, just in terms of, um, you know, what the roster and what the depth chart are ultimately going to look like. It's funny, Mike, I took the, you know, the, the depth chart that you dropped last week, you know, 10 minutes before Nick Saban decided to announce his retirement. I took that depth chart and I put it in a notes app on my phone. And I've just been kind of, I've been bolding the names that are planning on staying. And I've been crossing out the names that have hit the portal. Um, there's a lot more name crossouts than there are bolds, um, at least at this point, as the, at the time that we're recording this, at least. So, you know, if if they can convince enough guys to stay, I think there's a good skeleton roster here that Kalen DeBoer and his staff will have to work with for 2024. But, um, you know, right now it's just depth taking a massive hit and just overall talent is leaving um, and it makes you wonder just what's, what is it going to look like? How crazy is that spring transfer window in mid to late April going to look like too? I know that there's a lot of industry insiders that have said that the April transfer window um, is going to be maybe crazier and even more chaotic than it has been in the past. Cause I don't know that the transfer window in the spring is usually as nutty as maybe the December one, um, you know, but I think there's a chance that it could be a little bit more wild just based on everything that I'm hearing. And I think that's going to be a really crucial window for Alabama to try and maybe plug some holes that they see, um, you know, that, that might crop up over, you know, the spring window. You know, if, if you can bring in an experienced guy to certain position rooms, if you can bring in a guy that you can just kind of plug and play, um, you know, what is I, I know that this is maybe a separate conversation altogether. But like, what does Alabama's NIL situation look like after, you know, what's April four months from now? Um, I don't know if it's going to be built up enough to try and pull somebody huge out of the portal, but maybe it's enough to bring in at least somebody with some experience. John, I'm kind of curious, just the way that the the depth chart and the roster is shaping up for DeBoer's first year, just I, what are kind of your initial thoughts on what he is going to be dealing with or the kind of, you know, the team that he's going to coach next fall? Yeah, I mean, I think it just goes back to what I was saying earlier. It's just different than the one he thought he was inheriting when he accepted the job. And so there's, you know, he's, we were kind of talking about this off air before we started this podcast. Like, I do think he's going to have to be aggressive in the spring. I think that's at this point, you know, besides Washington guys that he can take with him and, and maybe Arizona, that's a talented roster too. Uh, there's just not a lot available right now. And historically in this kind of world that we're in, like the spring has not been when the top guys go, that's more depth players. Um, typically the, the, the winter is when the top guys go, but I do think it'll be more aggressive. And I think, you know, you just need to be aggressive, I think is the best way that I'll put it in terms of trying to um, secure talent that could potentially go into the portal. Uh, that's going to be really important to him. Um, so it's it's a challenge. Um, this is a very tough situation to, to walk into. And I think there's, I mean, it's what, today's Wednesday. It's been still less than a week based on the exact timing of when Saban announced. Um, it feels like a month. But a week from now, if we do another one of these podcasts. Who knows how many other guys are gone? Who knows what guys have come in? Like it's so minute to minute and hour by hour and day by day that it's it's hard to even imagine what his roster is going to look like uh, come September just because it's already changed so much. And I, I don't know. It, it makes it hard to really give you much of an opinion. I mean, I think um, I think it's fair to say that it is trending downward from where it was a week ago. But 
you know, if you get a couple of really important players to, to come into the team, you know, you can uh, kind of turn that back around. So I don't know. It's, it's a mess. It's the best way I'll put it. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you, I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Some names that I've kind of kept a, a list of, of maybe some of the Washington guys that have hit the portal since DeBoer was announced as the new Alabama head coach, Jabbar Muhammad, um, all-conference cornerback. He could bring some, you know, experience and maybe kind of be like a one-for-one, one, you know, Trey Amos replacement, I think. Um, they've also got Vincent Holmes, who was a former four-star prospect. He, I think today, um, announced that he is planning to enter the transfer portal. I think you bring maybe a guy like that in just for depth. Um, you know, if all of these guys are planning to follow DeBoer and his staff, um, some other guys maybe to keep an eye on Parker Brailsford, um, center for the Joe Moore winning, uh, Joe Moore award winning offensive line at Washington, um, could be an instant plug and play guy. He was another all conference, um, type player this past year. Some other offensive linemen have hit the uh, portal as well. Um, Nate Kalepo, I know is a big one. I think there's, you know, there's a lot of guys that are pretty high on, you know, he's a guy that can come in and play on an sec roster. Um, Michelle Powell who safety, um, I mean, that's another guy that like, you know, Alabama just needs DBs. That's a guy that played a lot this year. Um, he's not, you know, again, nobody's going to replace Caleb Downs, but that's a guy where, you know, especially this is the other thing too. Um, and we'll get into this when we talk about the coordinators, but uh, Kane, Kane Womack, who's coming over from South Alabama to be Alabama's defensive coordinator, um, believe he's probably going to run a four-two-five defense. You need DBs. You need talented DBs because there's you got five of them, right? Traditionally, two corners and three safeties. I'm sure one of them will play the equivalent of that star position that you know Saban had in his defense. Um, could Powell be that guy? Or could he come in and just play one of the safety positions and maybe you keep Malachi Moore at that star position? Um, you know, there's just a lot of thoughts rattling around in my head. I think another one, too, potentially, um, you know, Washington was obviously doing a lot of work through the transfer portal in the month of December while they were getting ready for the college football playoff uh, national semifinals. And a name that kind of sticks out to me, Jeremiah Hunter, wide receiver, transferred from Cal to Washington. If he jumps back in the portal and wants to follow DeBoer and Grubb down here to Tuscaloosa, um, that's a guy that's got a history of production at Cal and he obviously wanted to join, um, this type of offense. I think that could maybe, you know, a little bit more of a bandaid on the receiver room after bond left. Um, you know, it's a guy that caught 60 passes back to back seasons at Cal, and then you're going to put him in, you know, presumably a better offense that could be a name to watch as well. Um, so yeah, keeping track on the transfer portal. I do wonder though, like when it comes to just, you know, the reaction from Alabama fans, everybody's leaving. Haven't really seen anybody come in yet. So I wonder, do spirits start to turn up if the staff is able to start bringing people in through the portal? I know there's a handful of guys that are visiting and I know our recruiting guy, Brett Greenberg is starting to, you know, really keep tabs on some of those guys, but 
I wonder, you know, probably not going to make them feel 100% better, um, but, you know, maybe raise spirits a little bit, right, if they're able to start bringing some guys in after all these defections. And what happens with Michigan, too? If Harbaugh leaves, that opens Michigan's portal window, and they have some good players, too. So, um, you know, maybe this is kind of the bleeding portion of it, and then you kind of sew yourself back up together in the, in the next couple of weeks. But, I mean, there's competition for these guys. Jabbar Muhammad is going to be visiting Texas, and Texas has a way of bringing players in themselves. So it's not like you can just automatically pencil some of these guys in. Yeah, The hard part is, too, that, like, Again, all these other programs that aren't Alabama, Washington, Arizona, South Alabama, like they're not worried about guys going into the portal. So they're they're they are exclusively in buy and pursue mode, right? Whereas Alabama has to is basically trying to buy and also protect people from buying their their guys. So they're in just a, such a tough spot where you're trying to protect your guys and also be you know be out there in the market. And all these other schools are just sitting there like, yeah, let's get that guy, let's get that guy. So. These other schools have more of a singular focus, whereas the board's trying to meet the team, hire staff, keep players. Like it's just a lot going on. And that's why it's chaotic. And that's why you're seeing, I said it from the minute Saban retired, the vultures were coming. And I keep saying that because there was an opportunity for them to do that. And you're seeing them aggressively go after Alabama guys. So uh, I think, you know, any guys you can bring into the mix would certainly be well received, just because right now it's all just guys going on the way out. And, you know, maybe here's your transition if you want it, Cody, to good news. But I think right now it's kind of the the classic like life comes at you fast and that a day ago, everyone's beating their chest, so excited about Kane Womack and Malinguist, like Bama's back, baby. They're stealing sitting head coaches. And then a day later, the sky is falling because Caleb Downs and Kid Proctor are leaving. And that's just kind of what college football is right now. There's high highs and low lows. And Alabama is experiencing both of those in real time uh, within a 24-hour period. Yeah, 100%. It's a little bit of a roller coaster. I am going to take that segue into the good of this good, bad, and ugly show here. Um, the good news for Alabama is that the coordinators are in place. Kalen DeBoer has hired Ryan Grubb as the offensive coordinator, um, Kane Womack as the defensive coordinator. The offensive staff seems to be fully in place so far as we know. Grubb is the OC and the quarterback's coach. Uh, Robert Gillespie was retained as the running back's coach. Jamarcus Shepard is joining as the receiver's coach. Nick Sheridan is the tight end's coach. And then Scott Huff. Offensive line coach helped coach up the Joe Moore award-winning offensive line at Washington last year. The defensive hire still mostly coming together, but you've got Womack, the former South Alabama head coach. He's the new DC, possibly also the linebackers coach too. I think we're still trying to monitor that a little bit. Um, but also Freddie Roach was retained as the defensive line coach. Uh, Mo Linguist, former uh, Buffalo head coach. He's also coming in to coach the defensive backs. And then I believe... Uh, Chuck Morrell also about to join the staff to help coach the secondary in some capacities, probably just the safeties that would leave Mo Linguist to maybe coach the cornerbacks and also be co-DC um, or at least maybe help in that capacity. A few more additions on the way, but that's generally the skeleton of Kalen DeBoer's first staff at Alabama. Um, impressive staff overall, I think, especially offensively. Um, there's some SEC and Alabama ties for recruiting purposes. I think overall this staff, again, especially offensively, pretty well known when it comes to X's and O's and in-game decision-making and whatnot. Grubb helped orchestrate Washington's offense the last two years, which was one of the best in college football. Womack, before going to South Alabama, helped Indiana's defense become one of the best in the country over a two-year span. Um, and even while at South Alabama, the Jaguars' defense statistically among one of the best in terms of total defense and scoring defense. Generally speaking, I think these hires are pretty good hires, right? Like very rarely do you get sitting head coaches to leave their positions to come be 
on your defensive staff. And that's what DeBoer was able to do on that side of the ball. Um, I think a lot remains to be seen just in terms of recruiting, more transfer portal stuff, kind of what the roster and the depth chart is going to look like in the spring and next fall. Um, but guys, I guess I'll start with you, John. Preliminary thoughts um, on the staff that DeBoer has put in place so far. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a good staff. I mean, I think it's all the things that you just said would kind of be the points that I would make. I think from an X's and O's and developing standpoint, I think they did as as good as you can do. From a recruiting standpoint, I think it's an open question right now how that staff is going to come together, what their priorities are. I think one of the interesting things about Alabama is that they've recruited extremely nationally uh, under Saban, especially once he had success. Uh, this staff on paper would seem to lean into that as well, but you do have to have success recruiting in that five-hour five hour radius around Tuscaloosa. I think guys like Mo Linguist, and Freddie Roach and Gillespie can help you there. You would think Kane Womack can bring some mobile area connections, recruiting at a higher level than South Alabama, but you would think based on his time there and the fact that coaches do like him down there, that he can help you there. But that's, I think, the question of the staff. I think it was anytime you hire a guy like Kalen DeBoer from outside the, the radius, um, there's more questions about how is he going to recruit once he comes into the SEC. And I think we're seeing part of the challenges of that and just the way that schools are actively going after his roster and how challenging it can be to retain them. So th that's kind of where I'm at with it. But if you look at it from just the high end standpoint of getting Ryan Grubb as your offensive coordinator, who Saban tried to hire a year ago, extremely well regarded. You get Kane Womack as your defensive coordinator, who was a successful group of five head coach um, and also was a successful power five defensive coordinator. And then to have Malinguist, which we think is going to be a co-DC DB type secondary role um, as, you know, from Buffalo, I think those are all really strong hires and, you know, it'll be up to Kalen and how he navigates all of those egos and connections and things like that. But from a high end standpoint on paper, that's a staff that you feel good about from an X's and O standpoint. Yeah. And the other thing I think that comes to mind, Mike, I'm kind of curious your thoughts here too. Um, this is a coaching staff that routinely, especially at Washington and even a little bit, you saw it a little bit at, at Fresno state and even a little bit at Indiana when DeBoer was the OC and, and Womack was the DC there. Um, this is a coaching staff that has a pretty good track record of doing a lot more with a lot less. You look at that Washington roster overall this past season, I think in the two, four, seven sports team talent composite um, outside the top 20, right. And they went 14 and zero. they beat a really, really good Oregon team twice. They beat a really, really stacked Texas squad in the semifinals. Um, they beat other good teams like Arizona. Um, you know, they, I know they ended up losing pretty lopsidedly to Michigan in the title game, but you know, early in the fourth quarter, still a pretty close game, even though they maybe weren't playing their best game offensively. Um, but this is a team, there's a, a group of coaches that have, you know, again, a track record of doing a lot with maybe a talent deficit. And now they're coming to Alabama where yes, there's a massive exodus of a lot of talented players here, but you know, I still think there's going to be a lot of talent on this roster that DeBoer and his staff can use. Um, and it makes you wonder where ultimately they could go from here. Cause I think you could argue that they, you know, even though the roster's turning over, they're still going to have a lot more talent than maybe they're used to having, at least when they start a new gig. So I'm, I'm kind of curious your thoughts on from that perspective, Mike. Yeah. I mean, I think even as it stands, it's probably better than what I think you typically have at Washington. I mean, last year, I think they were in a pretty good spot with Penix being in his fifth year, I think it was. And um, obviously, you know, wide receiver, like they had some, they had some guys there at Washington last year. I don't know if they even have that at Alabama right now. Um, but in general, yes, I think it's obviously more than what he's done at Sioux Falls or what he's had at Sioux Falls. It's more than what he's had at Fresno. 
I would I hope so. Upset fan. I would hope so. Um, so <laughs> Mike is just mean, say stray shots at everybody in this podcast. Like poor Sioux Falls, those poor Sioux Falls. Guys, you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that automatically translates though to, um, you know, he was getting X with that roster. He's going to get Y even greater with Alabama's roster. Like you know, it's it, the competition level's gone up too. Like you're obviously playing better teams, so. I don't know. Like it's, it's still very much up in the air. What exactly this roster looks like. I know a week or two ago, I think I wrote it was 95% complete and, you know, we can pretty much lock it in. And obviously that has changed because the situation has changed. Um, but look, I mean, if he can get Jalen Milrow to play well as a quarterback, we've talked about this all the time. You have a quarterback, like you got something. So that the best thing that Alabama has going for it is they have an experienced quarterback coming back who looked pretty good at a lot of points of last season. They also have some young quarterbacks who have a lot of potential. So that's, I would say, the best assets they have right now. You kind of maybe add Justice Haynes in there as well, a potential really good running back. But I think the wide receiver position, the offensive line in particular – um, I mean, a tight end position to some degree, the front seven to some degree, and especially the secondary all have some pretty big question marks. But if you had a quarterback and you got a little something to build around. So I think if you're looking for optimism, that's probably the position I look at right now. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, that's totally fair. John, you got any thoughts just on the idea that this coaching staff routinely has done um, more with less and now they're coming into a situation where, yes, the roster is still turning over, but um maybe a little bit more talent than what they're probably used to, at least when it comes to starting at a new job. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the positive spin on it. No doubt. I mean, I think that's, that's what's going to lead you to have optimism and the fact that they're going to be able to make, you know, especially offensively make it work. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll see what they're able to to do um, moving forward. Yeah. That's the, that's the positive spin. I think, you know, those who are maybe more skeptical um, you're not in the PAC 12 anymore, uh, Kalen DeBoer. So you're going to have to play, an SEC schedule. So we'll see how, um, you know, they're able, are they able to do more with less when the schedule gets that much tougher? Um, I think that's one of the many questions that maybe Mike was alluding to when it came to, um, you know, what they're going to be able to do in year one and what the roster is going to look like. And um, there's a lot still left to be decided. Um, that's really, I think guys, that was really all the topics that I had to discuss on today's show. You got any other final thoughts or parting thoughts or Mike, you want to take a shot at somebody else before we sign off here? Or? No, I was actually going to say, I, I think this is kind of what Greg Byrne intended. Like when he hired Kalen DeBoer is because he's a really good coach. And like, I don't think necessarily he hired Kalen DeBoer to, keep everybody in place and recruit the SEC. Like I think Byrne was pretty open. Like that was going to be the the question mark. Um, but he hired him because he's a good coach and you can put something on the field that again, might work better than the sum of the parts. So we'll have to see if that's the case this fall. But I mean, that's like, I, I, I don't think this was unintended necessarily by Greg Byrne. I think he, if he wanted to just keep everything in place, he would have found a coach that, had more ties to this program, had more ties to this region. I think he went out and he tried to find the best coach, the, the reigning coach of the year, uh, with the understanding that there could be repercussions elsewhere. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a really good point. John, you got any other final thoughts before we sign off here? Yeah, I, I'll go off of that. I mean, I think I'll say two things. I'm going to give both a little negative and then I'll give you a positive. I think to your point, Mike, I agree, but I also think looking back, and this was kind of known at the time, but I think now that things have played out the way they were, the strong, strong pursuit to get T-Rob back into the mix, I think was trying to prevent today. Um, so I agree with you, but I do think it was probably, hey, 
you might want to keep this guy. So because once T Rob was gone, Desricks, Caleb Downs, Trey Amos, we'll see what else. So I think I agree with you, but I do think he, clearly he was like, you're going to have to hire some guys who have ties. And T Rob was one that they obviously went after. But to your overall point, I completely agree. I mean, if you think about it, if if you made the right hire, which obviously he's still hoping that he did, and you know, there's plenty of reasons to believe that they made a good hire. You're ultimately making a 10, 15 year decision, right? If it really works out, not a one week decision. So you're going to have to take your bruises and your bumps. And right now is not fun. I'm sure for anybody involved, I've heard from some people in that building that it is, you know, stressful and chaotic. And there's just a lot of moving pieces, people getting fired, people coming in, there's just a lot going on and it's stressful. But if you believe you found the right guy, this week should not be what moves you off of that opinion because it was always going to be challenging they might have taken some blows they weren't expecting but if you nothing to me really changed from when they hired him to now in terms of what you think this guy is capable of so um you're just going to have to try to survive this year and i'll give uh the last piece like you know we've spent a lot of time uh giving nick saban his due glory for the incredible job the goat uh the greatest of all time and all these different things he went seven and six his first year and and then the following year was an SC championship game and then the following year after that won a national championship so first year for any coach can be challenging now we thought it wouldn't be that just because of the talent they had coming back but you might take some bumps that first year and you're trying to really make that jump year two and year three and that's ultimately what greg byrne believes in my opinion that will happen with this with this coach and with his staff yeah, no, I think that's a really important point to make. And um, we'll have the expectation conversation. Um, not now, probably later down the road once we kind of get through these next 23 days, see what the roster looks like, see what spring ball's like, um, you know, probably closer to summer than not. But um, that is a good point to make and one to keep in mind, um, even if Alabama fans think that the sky is still falling. Last I checked, it has not fallen yet. Um, the sun came up again today. It'll probably come up again tomorrow. Um, going to be a long few weeks, I still think, for Alabama fans. But, um, hey, that's that's just part of the deal now. Welcome to college football in the 21st century. Um, appreciate you guys joining me. That's all we've got today. Um, we'll be back maybe later this week, maybe this weekend, maybe early next week. Who knows what this whole thing is going to look like a week from now. But we'll be back at some point to discuss it all as the changes keep rolling in. In the meantime, though, be sure to rate and review the show. Wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, even our Bama 247 YouTube page, subscribe to Bama 247 and 247 Sports. Believe we're still running a coaching transition special, 60% off an annual VIP membership, $43 for the entire year. I think you're going to want to take advantage of that to stay locked in on everything we've got coming at Bama 247. Thank you again, John and Mike, for joining me. We appreciate you guys always for listening. And we will talk to you all again soon. For drag queens to save the world. world. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars is back on Paramount Plus, and for the first time ever, I want you to use your talent for good for a change. (laughs) Eight iconic queens are competing for the charity of their choice. This is how you do drag. Who will slay it forward, win cash for their favorite cause, and a coveted spot in the Drag Race Hall of Fame. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. New season streaming May 17th exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.